0: Presses Play. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Girl Presses Play, the movie podcast where we talk about films, what we think about them, and what makes them so damn great. I'm your host, Alana Rafferty. Get comfy, grab some popcorn, and get ready, because we're about to press play. And now for our feature presentation. Hello, everybody. I hope you're all doing well and staying safe and staying warm because it is getting very, very cold here on the East Coast, and I am trying as hard as possible not to be salty about it. But I digress. Welcome to our penultimate episode of this season, where we are going to be taking a look at two films where both the original and the remake stand on their own. Own feet, which is very interesting because I feel like that usually doesn't happen. And I feel like one of the reasons is because both films, Infernal Affairs and The Departed, are just so individual in their identity and their pacing and how they do things that it's really easy to see them not as a remake of each other, maybe just similar movies. But are these movies really as different as we think they may be? We have an amazing guest in stunt coordinator and former NYPD police officer Scott Kashia, to help us analyze these films. I've known this guy for a really, really long time, and it's been a while since we've seen each other, so this is going to be enlightening, but this is also going to be fun. One thing I would like to note before we jump into things is that my mic was acting very strange, specifically... My USB-C cord that connects my mic to the computer, so I did for this interview have to record audio through my MacBook computer mic, so I apologize if it's sounding a little extra kind of tinny and brassier than usual. So, sit back and get your popcorn and warm up those Boston accents as we take a look at 2002's Infernal Affairs from directors Andrew Lau and Alan Mack, and 2006's The Departed from Martin Scorsese. I'm already I'm What are you waiting for, honestly? I mean,
1: Do you want to chop me up and feed me the poor? Is that what you guys want?
0: How's your brother? She's on her way out. We all are. Act accordingly. After retiring from the NYPD, he became a stuntman and stunt coordinator, as well as an armorer and producer. He has worked on projects such as The Brawler, Ghost in the Graveyard, The Jersey Devil, and True Detective Pikachu, as well as music videos by J. Cole, Megan Thee Stallion, Romeo Santos, Tyga, and Extination. He's worked on ad campaigns by Verizon, Time Warner, AT&T, and Safeway Supermarkets, and has appeared on CNN, BBC, and Morning Express, giving his expertise about stunts and being an armorer. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Kasia. Hello, hello. How hello. are you?
1: Good. Thank you for having me. Uh, I feel a little like uh, Miles Kennefic right now, uh, a little sick, but um, you know, other than that, I'm glad to be here. But um, Yeah, I'd throw a, d- a departed joke in there. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I feel like we're at the point because everyone I know is starting to get not sick in a scary way, but there's a little bit of that like, oh crap, do I have COVID? And then they get tested multiple times and then we have to accept that we still get colds. <laughs> Even amongst all the hand washing and, you know, mask wearing and all that. Yep. But enough about COVID, sir. Let's talk films.
1: Absolutely. Um
0: in general, what did you think of both of these
1: films? So I have to uh, start off by saying I, I, uh, I'm I a little biased. My first ever experience on a set was uh, I was an extra on Boardwalk Empire, and uh, it was the most hellish longest day. I think it was a 27-hour what? day. There were 300 extras, you know, most of people were in seg and i uh you know it was, i wasn't so like i think i made 120 for like you know after tax for a 27 hour you know it was just horrible and uh probably about 12 hours in scorsese comes out and just tears the ad a new one and i was like oh my god he's like you're a fraud you i don't even know why you're in this business i i can't believe this uh and i was like oh my god this guy has to be like, crush, you know, he's finally working for Martin Scorsese. Um, I bet he dreamt of this. And then, uh, you know, Scorsese just comes out and destroys him uh and then like you know people like well what what do you do i'm like well he got his stuff together because he was a pro and that's what pros do um and then we saw scorsese he we didn't see them the entire day except after that we saw him he came out uh he's like you guys doing great um we almost got this you know we're, we're so close and then like another six hours later we finally wrapped it was it was hell um yeah yeah it was something like that oh it was horrible uh i'm a little biased i look i think he's one of the greatest directors of our time but me personally i have got a i've got an issue or two
0: (laughs) and that is okay humans are allowed to have issues with each other yeah
1: i mean i could still watch his films they're amazing they're great it's just you know they're they're two amazing amazing films you know what what can you say look departed won the oscar yeah it won him
0: the oscar he's gotten so far right
1: right yeah (laughs) yeah no they're they're both just in incredible films if you want to if you want to get into comparing and contrasting them now i mean i do feel like that uh you know scorsese when he did departed he kind of copied off the smart kid you know when it comes to infernal affairs like he he was he was cheating you know off the smart kid sitting next to him and you know uh <laughs> took the answers he wanted and then kind of you know uh, the answers he didn't like he he changed <laughs>
0: That is, that's actually a really good way of putting it. I'll admit, I hadn't seen, which, fun fact, for the amount of time I've been mispronouncing your last name as Kaskia instead <laughs> of Kasha, which it correctly is, I have been calling Infernal Affairs internal affairs for the longest time. <laughs>
1: Yeah, when you send me the emails, I'm like, wait, does she want me to watch the Richard Gere movie and The, and the Departed? I'm like, that doesn't make much sense. Uh, so I, I got an it. what I am. No, you are, though. You're an amazing filmmaker. I, I love working for oh, you. I'll work for you anytime.
0: <laughs> but yeah, no, I like both of them. I also feel like I'm, a, not that I'm biased, biased, but I feel like with The Departed, it's so regional. It's almost more regional than watching a foreign film. I don't know how to describe it. But when I'm watching Infernal Affairs, I'm just kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of like stuff about Buddhism and things like that, you know, cool, I'm with it. But there's something about how heavily entrenched The Departed is in Bostonian culture, that some of the stuff that didn't like feel right to me, I'm just like, Is that a Boston thing? Is that like a Massachusetts thing?
1: Yeah, they do kind of drop you into Boston culture. And you do kind of have to just go along for the ride. Like, um, James Badgedale is my favorite, um, bad Boston cop. So there's a show called Hightown, which I really like, um, on stars Mm -hmm. that that I'm really into. And he's the lead, you know, same thing. He's a bad New England cop.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He just has that look about him.
1: Yeah, he, he plays it well. Uh, you know, I think Infernal Affairs, it was so original and so unique that it, it was amazing that, yeah, I can see why you'd want to kind of uh, copy it, why you'd want to uh, remake it. You know, I don't speak Cantonese, so I, the dialogue in Infernal Affairs, I'm going to assume from the subtitles, was not nearly as good as Departed. Departed had amazing dialogue, and I just feel the ending on The Departed was just better than the original ending on, on Infernal Affairs. But I really like the the grittiness the rawness you know it, it's just so raw infernal affairs and the the characters are just i think probably a little i don't know uh realistic real to me mm-hmm. they were more deeper on in, in on in the departed i mean look you had an absolute powerhouse cast there yeah. uh some of the greatest actors of our time you know leo matt damon alec baldwin uh mark Wahlberg is absolutely my favorite um yeah, you Nicholson, know we, i can't re- yeah but mark Wahlberg can't repeat some of the lines he he delivered in there uh but he was just every time he's on screen i just laughed he was my favorite martin sheen that that you know that. that's That's another Mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. Um,
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like one thing that makes these films so different because they're essentially the same story is I wouldn't even call it pacing, but I feel like with Infernal Affairs, you're allowed to sit a lot more. In certain situations and certain moods and certain, you know, moments where characters are deciding what to do and what not to do. And The Departed, even in its editing, is just such a breakneck, frantic pace, kind of like the Leonardo DiCaprio characters. Go, 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 go. Right. You almost really don't take like a minute to kind of get seated into the world, I think.
1: It is very, very frenetic. And look, the the soundtrack is off the charts. Maybe one of the best soundtrack, you know, collected soundtracks in in the Mm -hmm. history of film. Mm -hmm. And that kind of adds to it. That's a character in and of itself and just really, really sets the mood. So yeah, it is much more frenetic. You can't get up and go to the bathroom and, you know, you're just going to miss it. You're just going to miss so much of it. Yeah,
0: even for a two and a half hour movie, there's just so much happening and so many things going on you are and that's kind of a Martin Scorsese thing I found because I've seen right probably about half of his films I haven't seen all of them but a solid half of them and you really don't feel like you can get up at all
1: right yeah I mean look I grew up in Staten Island and you know I think they throw you off the island if you haven't seen Goodfellas like at least 10 <laughs> times you know and funny story, oh, yeah. I actually, I, I actually know um, one of the real life character's daughter. So uh, Jimmy Conway is based on a uh, on somebody named Jimmy Burke, who was mm-hmm. a real the gentleman, Jimmy Burke. Uh, you know, a real life, honest to goodness gangster. So I lived in Queens for a, lot, a while. I lived in Howard Beach, and you know, I was talking to a you know a, a neighbor, and she's like, "Well, I don't think we could be friends." I'm like, "Why not?" She's like, "Well, because of who my family is. You're a cop," and I'm like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" She's like, "Well, I, I don't really." want to tell you but my family is kind of famous in crime i go what What do you mean she's like do you know my last name i'm like yeah it's burke and she's like well uh it was changed in a certain movie to conway and i'm like what and then i put two and two together i'm like oh okay i get it i get it we're not going to talk about this anymore
0: <laughs> wow that's gotta be like i wouldn't know how to wrap my head around it was that if i found out that like a neighbor or someone i work with was just like in the mafia or they married into the mafia or they're like a son or daughter of the mafia I just be like uh, okay
1: I mean, honestly, I grew up around it. You know, it's like I, I went to high school with Big Paul Castellano, the, the mob boss, Um, you know, his grandson. And when, when uh Big Paul was killed, the grandson was no longer in school. <laughs> so it's like, I, you know, I grew up around it, you know, in the 70s and 80s houses with security cameras outside. And, you know, I grew up in a very middle class neighborhood. But, you know, the guy would be watching his El Dorado, you know, like four times a week during the day, like, you know. <laughs> When everybody else, when everybody else going to work, this guy is outside washing, washing his El Dorado, you know, so it's kind of kind of what I grew up around.
0: Well, it seems like you grew up. Damn it. You know what? I was trying to tie it in with the nature of good and evil. And I was like, this is going to be a lot longer than I realized. So let's just ask that both films seem to be very preoccupied. With the concept of good and evil in Infernal Affairs, they use a lot of the Buddhist idea of continuous hell. And even in The Departed, Frank Costello is literally lit and shot to look like right the devil incarnate. The basically. devil, yeah,
1: absolutely. What do you think?
0: Like each of these movies is saying differently about the nature of evil because there is something very universal about evil, but I feel like also cultures can hi- kind of hi- um, cultures can kind of hold it. And think about it in very different ways, you know?
1: Well, I, I think it's kind of a predominant theme throughout Asian cinema, good and evil, uh, and, you know, with a, a kind of a spirituality tinge to it, like uh, my favorite movie is Old Boy, not the piece of garbage that Spike Lee should be uh, catapulted into outer space for for making, but the the original Korean version. And that deals with a lot of good and evil and, you know, uh, kind of, you know, straddles the line between, uh, you know, black and white and, you know, many grays. So I think it's a very common theme in, in Asian cinema to to kind of deal with this and you're right frank Costello was you know kind of lit to look like the devil and just you know jack nicholson was just so evil but yet there are, there were these tongue-in-cheek moments where if you remember in the um early in the movie where he walks into the deli and there's the guy that he's getting that he's shaking down for production uh protection money and he's like oh you're, you know your daughter's blossoming to a fine young woman And then he calls her over and you're like, oh, well, this is like really creepy and inappropriate. And he whispers something in her ear. But then she smiles. So, you know, maybe he's not all that bad. And, you know, Frank Costello is based, you know, almost exactly off Whitey Bulger, who were, you know, Whitey Bulger was an FBI informant as well, you know, and uh, and just ruthless. They did take some liberties, though. Like you see, there's a scene where um, Frank is holding a a hand in a plastic bag that actually comes from uh, the Westies. So the Westies were the only they were an Irish gang that the Italians were afraid of, Uh, like Mickey Featherstone was a short little dude, but just scary as all heck. He used to do executions, and he cut off a guy's hands after he killed him, and then he would do the hit and leave the fingerprints of the dead guy's hands on the gun, and the cops would be looking for a dead guy. I mean, they would just... Absolutely, absolutely fearless. They get their name because they lived on the uh, the west side in Hell's Kitchen. Um, but so that was taken from like, you know, New York mob lore, you know. But uh, yeah, Frank Costello, I, I would say he was the I don't know if he was the devil, but he was an opportunist. He's he's like most criminals, you know, where they're mm-hmm. they're just kind of amoral. You know, he's willing to, you know, to rat on everyone and be an FBI informant because it suits him. You know, he doesn't really have a, a code. He doesn't really have morals. Just whatever good for Frank Costello is good for Frank Costello.
0: Yeah, and I thought that was a very interesting con- contrast to the Matt Damon character who almost wanted to kind of straddle both sides of good and evil and at the end seemed to just kind of like give up, if that makes sense. Because you could see a lot of times where he's like, trying to protect the cops, but then also trying to protect Frank at the same time. And it seems like he was trying to, like, have one foot in a different place. And then at the end, he's just like, well, of course, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it anyway. So fuck it.
1: Oh, I I never got the idea that he was trying to protect any cops. Like, I always got the idea, like, you know, he needed to kind of... Do the bare minimum to not be discovered, you know. But I always felt his loyalty was to Dad, yeah. you know, to Frank, um, you know, and he would do blatant things that that would protect Frank and, and nothing else. Um, I never got the feeling he was a good cop. I got, I got the, um, except when Frank wasn't involved. Okay, I have to
0: clarify, I don't think he's a good cop, but I think for like the James Badge Dale character. Like a lot of the times for his friends, he was trying to kind of keep them in the dark and it kind of seemed like he was doing that. So he didn't get his friends in any more trouble than they needed to be, if that makes sense. Well,
1: he didn't know Jane Badgedale was, was you know, so yeah, I, I felt like it was more to protect himself than than anyone else. He just didn't want to get discovered. And look, I, I'll say this, cops are very mm-hmm. clever and very intuitive in, in certain ways, you know, to notice things like that. You know, that's kind of the nature of the job, you know, where you need to notice, you know, details. So I don't know. You know, it's like I, I felt like, yeah, when he was kicking in doors, yeah, he was a worker. But then once he got in a position to help, you know, his dad, that's all that mattered.
0: This is a perfect segue into our next question about your life as a former cop. From your experience working in law enforcement, do you feel like one of these movies gives as realistic as a movie can be, you know, a realistic interpretation of being in law enforcement or do you feel like both of them just take so many creative liberties for the sake of the story that you can't even really answer that question
1: so i i've only worked for one law enforcement agency the new york city police department every law enforcement agency thinks they're the greatest in the country i i could tell you that the nypd is very good at certain things you know they're they're amazing at counterterrorism they're great at solving crimes you know they're not so good at other things you know that's mm-hmm. a whole other broader conversation um to be had so So in some ways, yeah, like, you know, Ronnie, you know, the the police academy and everything and, you know, playing the drill, the rivalry between cops and firemen, you know, uh, and Matt Damon's line, you know, oh, first time fireman got, you know, pussy in the history of uh, fire and of um, you know, I I thought that was great. You know, there is a rivalry between police and fire, you know, like I remember, you know, NYPD, FDNY uh, hockey games where like bench clearing <laughs> broke out. So that I think is a, an accurate depiction. Um, you know, I was never a detective, you know, in like a specialized mm-hmm. unit like mm-hmm. that. So no, I don't. I, I I've always said the two most accurate portrayals of police work are Body Miller, a uh, sitcom from the seventies, and people like really, I'm like, yeah, it's pretty close. And there was this show which was a Tom Fantana Barry Levinson show the guys who did Oz and it, it was like Mark Ruffalo's first role it was called The Beat it lasted one season it was on the UPN right after Shasta oh, wow. um throwback. and it oh yeah yeah and that was kind of the kiss of death for it I thought that was realistic like you know um, one of the characters like Mark Ruffalo's character his crazy girlfriend burns his house down uh, burns his apartment down and he knows it and he stays with her like I knew guys like they're with women you know who made like fake allegations like, you know, oh, he pulled his gun out on me. And the woman was obviously, you know, there was something wrong with her, uh, you know, in and out of psych wards and stuff. And, you know, they stayed with her. So as far as realism, no. And like I said, I think Matt Damon would have been caught way longer than, mm-hmm. you know, especially yeah. when when now you start dealing with interagencies, you know, and, and things like that. It's hard to kind of keep, you know, to keep it so compartmentalized. You are you know, you're not the smartest guy in the room. There are, Usually when you get to that level some pretty smart guys in the room with you so especially when you're dealing with supervisors and stuff it's, it's kind of hard to yeah. not get caught um something that elaborate but look it was a great plot you know it, it was great uh as far as infernal affairs i don't know much about you know policing in a, in hong kong so i couldn't tell you that but you know the the kind of demeanor of cops like you know staff sergeant Dick, uh, Dickman, uh whatever is uh mark Wahlberg's character like i knew guys like that they were just bitter and just, you know, some of the funniest, you know, wittiest dudes you ever see. The one thing like I that struck me as weird when they recruit Leonardo DiCaprio, like they just guilt him, And then he's like, uh, okay, I'll get locked up and and go undercover, you know, and, and throw away, you know, the, this job, you know, they're like, Oh, in five years, you know, you're not going to be a Massachusetts state trooper. Well, why, what, what did he do? Mm-hmm. You know, like, did he do something? Um, so that's something I didn't, I didn't find believable. They didn't have enough leverage on him to make him do something like that.
0: Yeah. I feel like one thing that was also interesting, less so in internal affairs because just from what i could see in the movie i don't know how to describe it there was a lot more poker faces from both sides going on whereas i feel like in the departed matt damon was calm cool and collected pretty much until like the umpteenth hour and leonardo dicaprio after just one year of undercover work is freaking out and tweaking out so much like I thought that was really interesting too, if that makes sense. Like their energy levels were so different considering that from what I could tell, Matt Damon had been playing both sides for a lot longer than Leonardo DiCaprio's character had.
1: Yeah. I knew guys who were undercover and uh, it's stressful. It really takes a toll on you. You know, you need to have a completely separate life. So a good friend of mine, his name is Jack Garcia. He's legendary in the FBI. There's a book about him. uh, Well, that he wrote called Making Jack Falcone, where he took down, he went undercover and took down 39 members of the Gambino crime family. And this is after Donnie Brasco. One of the things they made him do was they made him kind of fill out like paperwork and go see a doctor to check his health. Now, this dude, you wouldn't know he was a you would never know he's an FBI agent. He was like, I I guess he's like six, four, six, five and like, you know, 400 pounds, big Cuban dude. And, you know, they made him go see a doctor. And it was like uh, he's like, why are you making me do this? You know, he's like, well, we want to make sure you're all right. And it was to check to, you know, just went and see one of their doctors to make sure that his story mm-hmm. checked out. He was unique because he'd work like four cases at the same time. He would Whoa. work like a counterfeit cigarettes, counterfeit money, uh, you know, like counterfeit plates, not even money, but like counterfeit plates from like China. You know, some Chinese people had counterfeit $100 bill plates like from the mint and like North Korean arms deals, like, and a corrupt police department. And a mob case, which the mob, it's like you're worse than a doctor, you're worse than a brain, a neurosurgeon, because you're on call Mm -hmm. 24-7. If they call you, doesn't matter if if your wife's in labor, you have to come. So that's what made Jack so unique that he could juggle all these cases. And he was so in demand. Um, But it was really, really stressful on, you know, on on a life. The last thing you want to do is be found Mm -hmm. out you know, because uh, you don't want to put your family at risk. You'd hope that, you know, they wouldn't kill a cop. And, you know, Jack said, you know, I was talking to him. He's like, look, after I got pulled out, they were about to make them. They were op- about to open up the books on him. Right before that, they pulled him out. And the head of the Southern District uh, of the, um, the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District and the head of the FBI, special agent in charge, sat down with the heads of the five families and said, if something happens to Jack Garcia, we will rain down terror on you like you've never wow. seen. But he's like, even after I was retired, I I would have to take different routes home. I would have to like, you know, make sure I don't go the same way every time to make sure I'm not being followed. You know, he's not, a, he, he's not a hard guy to miss, you know, six mm-hmm. five, three hundred ninety 390 pounds. And he's got to drive a Hummer, you know, he needs like a big car, not a hard guy to miss. So, uh, yeah, undercover work is very, very stressful. It takes a certain mentality. Uh, you do need to be really calm and, and collected and, and not rattled and haven't, an, you know, have an answer. You know, he wasn't Italian, so he had to go through mob school. Like, you know, he had to sit down with, with another agent who, you know, was Italian and have to tell him to be like, No, nah, dude, you don't carry a wallet. You carry your money in like in a wad with the rubber band that they use for broccoli, like at the supermarket. And that's how you carry your money um you know he had to learn how to pronounce all the italian dishes like it's not mozzarella it's mozzarella you know it's not calamari it's galamad you know uh supersad mm-hmm. you know prosciutto you don't pronounce the o so he had to learn how to speak kind of you know this italian american slang because you know something like that would tip off you know the the, the people you're with you know <laughs> if you called it oh let's order some calamari they'd be like where, where are you from? You know, I thought you're from the Bronx.
0: It's like the three fingers in glorious Bastards. Right. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. You know, and that that's what he needed to know. But he was just so good, he would find a way to, you know, to, to convince him. And he's just such a charming, you know, warm, wonderful guy that you, you wanted to believe him.
0: That is fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting because I worked on a film where we didn't realize this until getting to know our lead. But he's like, a pretty nondescript looking guy. Like he doesn't have any crazy features. So, you know, you wouldn't really notice him on the subway if right. you saw him. And we found out that he was an undercover agent for the FBI for like 20 years. And he would run front businesses for the government to get, I guess, info on like different things going on in town, maybe some like organized crime information. And again, you wouldn't be able to pick this guy out of a crowd because he's so nondescript looking and when he dropped that on us we were like you what (laughs) it's like yeah so you know acting's actually kind of similar to my old job i mean he's retired now so he doesn't do it anymore but it's so interesting to also think about and i think these movies both bring them up there really well the idea of like who goes into this line of work and why because i think there's definitely for the leonardo dicaprio character a little more than the tony Lone character um the idea of like trying to overcompensate for who you are.
1: Well, so the, the difference is Leo was only undercover for a year. Um Tony Lung was, was undercover for ten, you know. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. I you of know,
1: that so it's like uh I don't know how you how you go undercover, you know, in that world for ten years. Now understand something. You're around crime, you can't commit crime, you've gotta figure out ways not to do crime, you know, and and like kind of almost try and prevent crime because that could blow your case. You know, like, well, you had an FBI agent there and they did nothing to present it, you know, to prevent this crime. And you obviously can't commit a crime. Like if if somebody's doing a murder, you can't take part in that. So you, yeah. you need to be creative and figure out ways to not not be a criminal. And that's kind of hard if your business is crime. <laughs> you know, if the business you're infiltrating is crime. <laughs>
0: goodness yeah that is I have as you probably know I have no poker face whatsoever so that is not a line of work I will be considering anytime soon
1: Yeah, I, I don't recommend it. You know, I just finished the last season of Narcos Mexico and I'm like, yeah, these guys all have like, you know, such short lifespans. Nobody lasts in it. You know, you either go to jail or you die. No Nobody ever retires from it.
0: Yeah, it's like, because I think in the film world we get very, it's life or death, it's all or nothing. And then you hear stories like that and you're like, the film world really isn't life or death or all or nothing, or at least it doesn't have to be.
1: Right, right, and that's why I laugh on film sets. Like you know, when see people get like so like upset, and I'm like, look, we're making movies here. You know, we're, we're not. This isn't brain surgery. It literally, is not brain surgery. Hopefully, nobody ever dies on you know on, on a set. I mean, you know, uh, the rust incident is a whole other conversation. Mm-hmm, I mean, we could we could do a whole show on that. But um, hopefully nobody dies or gets hurt on a film set. You know, I, I'm usually the one who gets hurt. But uh, you know, th- when actors improvise <laughs> stunts, but uh no, 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 it's, it, it should be fun. And that's why, you know, when I produce, you know, I like to tell people, I'm like, look, we're going to have a good time. Yeah, we're going to work hard, but we're going to have a good time. And that, I think a lot of people lose sight of that, um, yeah. you know, in the Absolutely.
0: industry. Do you think, because I feel like these films are different enough, even though they have the same core story, do you feel like they need to be seen as remakes of each other? Or like if someone saw Infernal Affairs and then randomly saw The Departed a little while ago, like you wouldn't necessarily need to tell people that they were remakes of each other.
1: So I kind of call them the, uh, the cabin fever of crime movies. So cabin fever, you know, it had the original, I guess it was the Eli, Eli Roth version, I believe. So they remade it a few years ago with Steve Mnuchin's wife um, was in it. And it was just like, it was a shot for shot redo of it. Like there was nothing different about it. Nothing Mm -hmm. original. And I kind of feel like this is almost the same thing. I just feel departed. Look, it's a better movie. You know, it, it's a better done movie. Better production value. Um, you know, dialogue is better. I feel the ending was better, but for the most part, it was the same movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think it's more than just a, a remake. I just don't think it's you know, like I said, I, I feel like Martin Scorsese copied off the smart kid sitting next to him in class when when he was taking the <laughs> test.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I guess like. I guess for myself, they're such different movie watching experiences. And that's why I see them as you don't necessarily need to tell somebody, oh, it's a remake or watch them as a double feature or anything like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I like I said, I I love The Departed, but I just think Infernal Affairs is, you know, a better movie. Mm -hmm. And you got to watch the subtitle version. I I don't recommend anything dubbed, uh, you know, from, you know, my son watches anime and I'm like, dude, don't watch the dub. You won't get it. It won't be the same thing. And he's like, okay, Um, but some people don't like to read movies.
0: Yeah, I would say unless you grew up with dubs in anime, because like I grew up watching the dubbed Sailor Moon and the dubbed Kiki's right. Delivery Service. So I think like if you grew up watching it with dubs, OK, sure, fine. But if you're watching it fresh, subs, subs all the way.
1: Yeah, I, so back in the day, I mean, I, I'm dating how old I am, but you know, back in the day, before you can watch stuff, before the internet even really existed, um, you used to have to go places, you know, to get anime. So uh, mm-hmm. I uh, I remember walking to a comic book shop on Twenty Third Street, which is no longer there. Um, you know, I was a cop, and I, you know, that was my sector, and I pulled over. i have rent from like you know Blockbuster anime, and I'm like, oh, let me see, you know, there's a small, you know, let me see what they have, and the guy behind the counter, he's like, look, I'm like, do you have a dubbed? And he's like, no, you want to watch his subtitle because you will see you will see it closer to the actual intent you know the, mm-hmm. the actual story as opposed to the dub version um you know he's like they dumb it down for americans i'm like oh that's interesting so, and that's why i can watch subtitle movies yeah i get lazy i get lazy too and i'm like oh, i want to see the dub. Then you know what a-
0: like the mcdonald's for movie watching you're like eh, every now and then eh, i'll just put on the dubs
1: Look, I, I love the McRib. It's, you know, my my favorite fast food ever. So, you know, I get it. I, I appreciate it. But, you know, I, I still like good food. I still like going out to, you know, good high-end restaurants. It's
0: all a balance. It's all a balance. What would you tell somebody that was going to watch these films and wanted, like, a little bit of a preface or said, hey, I'm going to watch Infernal Fairs and The Departed as, like, a double feature. What do I need to know before going into this?
1: So I, I I feel if you're new to foreign cinema, then watch The Departed first. So this way you kind of have a primer and you, you're you not lost. Because sometimes, you know, reading, you you know, you can get a little, you know, you'd be like, what? And, you know, especially like me, uh, you know, I'm 50 and I refuse to wear glasses. Uh, so sometimes <laughs> I can be like wait, I got to read this. It says what? And then I lose part of it. So I say watch The Departed first and then, you know, just just take it on face value. And then um, after that, watch Infernal Affairs and see what I think is a better, not necessarily better done movie, but a better movie just in general, in my opinion. And just go, you know, don't go in with expectations To just go in and, and enjoy the ride. Don't, you know, I'm a film person, so whenever I watch something on TV, you know, I have to, or, or a movie, I'm like, how'd they do that stunt i want to know how the magic is you know made so uh, don't do what i do mm-hmm. just go in and enjoy it and and have fun with it go for the ride you know you know most of the time i watch and i go oh how'd they do that that is pretty cool is that all cgi is that practical um oh how'd they flip that car i'm like oh and then you know i'll look and i'll, I'll rewind and be like oh i see where the. Te-. so when you flip a car what you do basically is you get pneumatic cannon and you you take a length of telephone pole. And basically what you do is you you cut out the bottom of the car. You take this pneumatic cannon and point it towards the ground. And then when it's time to flip the car, you basically shoot the cannon and it shoots a telephone pole out and flips ah. the car. So I always look for things like that. So don't look for things like that. Just go in and and watch it and enjoy it. You know some of the, some of the performances in Departed are just, are just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said, every time Mark Wahlberg is on screen, I laugh my butt off. Just have fun with it because they are two fun movies. The Infernal Affairs gets a little deeper with the, with the spirituality uh, of yeah, it. I agree. You know, and and the good versus evil. But don't don't let that you know. Don't think too hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Most important question. Where can we find you on the interwebs?
1: So you can find me. Uh, Instagram is probably the best place. My name is C-O-T-T-C-O-S-C-I-A. You know, I post a lot of movie stuff there. Like, you know, anytime I work on a project that's, you know, noteworthy, I I try and, you know, post something there. Don't try and find me on Facebook because uh, I got thrown off because I created a QAnon satire group in January and Facebook threw me off. So I have kind of a, a hidden profile that, you know, I'm very, uh, I only keep it very close, very tight because I don't want to be thrown off again. But yeah i'd say instagram i don't really tweet yeah you know I, I have a twitter you know it's my name very original you know it, but i very rarely tweet because i i don't know twitter is just an environment that i just it's just too hostile and it's just too much of a rabbit hole and if you want to email me 1098 consulting at com is my my professional work email for uh for production and stunts and special effects and you know weapons and things like
0: that scott kasha Thank you so much for coming on the show. I highly, highly, highly enjoyed this conversation. It has been too long since we have talked shop, and we need to do it again soon.
1: Absolutely. I'll come back anytime you need me.
0: And that is our episode. I want to thank Scott again so much for coming by. Check out his Instagram below where you can find all sorts of cool film and TV stunt stuff going on. And you can also check out our Instagram where we have fun podcasting stuff going on. And that's where we also post news about new episodes as well as general film and film analysis thoughts so definitely like and follow us on social media and use social media to also leave us your comments and let us know what you thought about these episodes if there's something you agreed with or disagreed with we as always want to hear from you guys tune in next week for our very very Christmassy season finale when we take a look at an original and remake of a christmas classic miracle on 34th street so until then stay safe Have a wonderful Thanksgiving and keep watching movies. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Be sure to check back every Tuesday for new episodes and be sure to check us out on our Patreon page where you can support the show and get some really cool exclusive stuff for doing it. Special thanks to John F. Feriolo Fencing, LLC, Mariano Dwyer, and Helen Rafferty. For news on upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Girl Presses Play. The show is written, produced, and hosted by Alana Rafferty. Intro music is composed by Asha Iwanowitz and our logo design is by Mark Sauve. Thanks again. See you next time.